The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? The week leading up to the Super Bowl, we have a blockbuster trade that featured two first overall draft picks in their respective drafts. It's been a jam-packed week, and we are here on Falado on Football to discuss what has gone on. I am the host, Nicholas Falato here on Big Blue View Radio. And let's just dive right into this. Late Saturday night, a blockbuster trade was pulled off. A trade that we expected from the Detroit Lions standpoint. They came out in a very smart manner, mind you. And they stated that Matt Stafford was on the market and they wanted to get a deal done before the Super Bowl. And reportedly, there were six teams interested. So they basically drove the stock of this trade up because so many teams are in the market for a quarterback right now. And they were able to extract two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Jared Goff from the Los Angeles Rams. And Matt Stafford is now taking his talents to Los Angeles. I think we all knew that the Rams were done with Jared Goff when Les Snead went on national television and said, Jared Goff, he's a member of the Rams right now. Was not a ringing endorsement of the former first overall pick, the quarterback that represented the Rams in the Super Bowl where they lost to Tom Brady. We can even argue that the writing was on the wall when Sean McVay and the Rams wanted to start Johnny Walford over Jared Goff, even though Jared Goff had that thumb injury, but it wasn't just the thumb injury that was holding him back. Jared Goff holds Sean McVay's offense back. He's a solid quarterback when he can work the play action and that running game is working, but if you fall behind like the Rams did against the Jets, good luck coming back because Jared Goff isn't that kind of quarterback right now. And he's still young. He's 26 years old. Matt Stafford is about to be 33, but Matt Stafford is going to put the Rams into an immediate position to legitimately compete for the Lombardi Trophy and not be held back by a quarterback like Jared Goff. And kudos to the Lions for being able to pull this trade off. There's kind of a lot of elements that really go into this trade, and I want to dive into it. And I think first we should start with the salary cap element. So Les Snead has this dangerous proclivity to sign players that they have before they really need to be. He did this with Todd Gurley back in 2018. He extended Gurley's contract, signed him a four-year, $60 million deal with $45 million guaranteed. His rookie contract was set to end in 2020, and he never played it down on this new contract. So essentially, Les Snead and the Rams gave Gurley a $20 million raise 
for nothing. Never played it down on this new contract. Jared Goff was recently extended. Same goes. That contract was going to kick in 2021 and go through 2024. Goff never played a down on that contract. So there is a ton of dead cap that goes into this deal. And with the Rams right now, going into 2021, the Rams have, I think, 22.2 million dead cap from Goff alone, and then about 10 million from Gurley still because they released Todd Gurley. Now they bring in Matt Stafford, and Matt Stafford's contract ends in 2022. So once the new league year starts, I believe that's March 17th, Les Snead and the Rams can restructure Stafford's contract and kind of give themselves more maneuverability down the stretch past 2022. They weren't going to be able to do that with Jared Goff, who hadn't even started his new contract yet. And it was pretty evident that Goff wasn't going to be it for Sean McVay, and Sean McVay was totally done with him. So this season, Goff was set to make $34.7 million with the Rams, having him on the roster. Essentially, the Rams elected to just eat $22.2 million of that dead cap and not have him on that roster for that extra $14.5 million. They found the trade partner. Stafford comes in. And now collectively, with Stafford and the dead cap of golf, they're paying the quarterback position $42.2 million. Now, that's more than 34.7, but the restructure later is going to give the Rams so much flexibility down the line, which then we're not going to be able to have because golf's contract was horrendous. Now, Les Snead does things totally different than a lot of other general managers. There's merit to that, but there have been so many mistakes. Now, they've done a good job getting rid of those mistakes, but they eat so much dead cap from it. Like I said, the Todd Gurley deal, now the Jared Goff deal, two deals that never had to happen in the first place. They were rewarding their players. Two deals that didn't have to happen. They happened, and neither played a snap, which is absolutely insane to think about. So this trade was really about getting rid of Jared Goff's contract as well. Yes, they traded two first-round picks and a third and Jared Goff for Matt Stafford. But Matt Stafford's a great quarterback. These types of things, these salary dumps, happen a lot in the NBA. You do not see it as often in the NFL. We saw it once with Brock Osweiler. Remember the Texans? Signed Brock Osweiler. They never even met with the guy, but they signed him because Brock Osweiler won a couple games in 2015, helped the Broncos go to the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning rides off into the sunset, wins the Super Bowl. Then Osweiler leverages that, meets with the Texans, signs a massive deal, and the Texans never knew that he sucked. And once they realized that and they had that contract in their books, they were like, oh crap, how the hell are we getting rid of this contract? Let's contact a team that has a crap load of cap space. That was the Cleveland Browns. So the Texans traded Brock Osweiler a second round pick and a sixth round pick for a fourth round pick. Just a pure salary dump. For the Rams, this trade definitely had salary dump intentions behind it, but in return, they get one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, Matt Stafford. One of the more underrated quarterbacks, I should say. And he's still one of the better ones, in my opinion. I think he's a very valuable asset. So kudos to the Rams for that. But still, that is a lot of draft capital. That is a lot of future capital. And the Rams haven't made a first-round pick since Jared Goff. And the pick before that in the first round, top 10, was Todd Gurley. Two players that they resigned early and put them into these uncomfortable cap situations. 
Because remember, the Rams traded a first-round pick to New England for Brendan Cooks, and they moved back in the 2019 draft twice. I think they dropped to like 45, and then they ended up selecting their first guy, Taylor Rapp, out of Washington, a safety, like 60. Then they traded two ones for Jalen Ramsey, 2020 and 2021, and now they just trade 2022 and 2023 for Matt Stafford. It's impressive when you really look at it. They haven't made a first-round pick in seven years by the end of this, unless they get a first-round pick, which I don't see them going in that direction because I feel like Les Snead views first-round picks as a way to get quality, already proven players on the roster for a team that is competing right now, and that's what they did. This team is good enough to compete. Matt Stafford has never had a defense in Detroit. This dude has never played with a quality defense. Oh, you're bringing in Matt Patricia. Oh, he's a defensive guru for Bill Belichick. He's going to fix our defense. No. And by the way, Stafford had talks with the Lions and said the one team that he would not go to was New England. That is a Matt Patricia effect if I've ever seen one right there. So now he gets to go to the Rams. Southern California, beautiful weather, great defense, ideal situation for Stafford. Because Stafford's career was almost written off as the guy who never really had the best shot because of the mediocrity of the Detroit Lions. But now, he gets to go to Sean McVay, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Slightly better offensive line. Their offensive line isn't great, though. Cam Akers, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, good defense. Now it's time to perform for Matt Stafford. In that division that still has a team that represented the NFC in a Super Bowl last year in the 49ers. They also have the Seahawks and the rising Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray led Cardinals. That's a very competitive division. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. As for Jared Goff going to Detroit, look, Detroit can get out of Goff's contract from what I understand by about 2022. With limited, not not so much huge dead cap, because signing bonus has already been paid off by the Rams. Not a salary cap expert, but it seems like it's maneuverable after the 2022 season. But Brad Holmes, the general manager for the Lions, just appointed general manager, was the director of college scouting for the Rams when they selected Jared Goff out of Cal. And now he's reunited with him. And Jared Goff seems grateful that a team actually went out to get him. I'm sure he understands all the parameters about the contract and everything. But I know he was quoted talking to NFL Network's Mike Silver saying, I'm glad to feel like I'm appreciated. So I think there was certainly animosity there from Jared Goff to Sean McVay and the Rams in general. So now he gets a new start with Detroit, which, I mean, he's still young, but it's not promising. That team is bad. They have Dan Campbell at head coach now trying to turn things around, eating kneecaps in the process. But they have a bunch of draft capital, which is great for them. And they're picking in the top 10. They can easily go and select Trey Lance or another quarterback. And golf could just be a bridge quarterback to whomever they select at seven. Or they could trade up to the Jets or something like that. Because they have draft capital now to do it. But I think it's always smart to get draft capital when you're a bad team. I want the Giants to do it. I don't necessarily think the Giants are a bad team. I think they have a lot of foundational pieces to build around. A lot of young players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but the offensive line, there's been a lot of investments there, which I love to see. They need some more skilled position players, especially at receiver. 
tight end. I don't believe Evan Ingram's going to be in the long-term plans of the New York Giants. And then wide receivers, you would imagine the Giants are going to either sign a free agent, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, or select a Jalen Waddle at 11 or somebody of that light in this draft. But even with the youth movement that's going on with the Giants, I would still love for them to trade back at 11 if, say, Waddle isn't there or some of these other players to accumulate more picks down the lines. I do feel like this is a sneaky, deep draft class at a lot of key positions that the Giants need. Edge, wide receiver, cornerback. I feel like there's a lot of players that can kind of come in. Guys who are going to be day two, day three picks. So I'm all about collecting assets. I think that's a huge part of winning in the NFL is getting more kicks at the can because the draft process is an imperfect process. And the Lions were able to do that. They got some high-end picks. Now, the Lions are going to be drafting probably in the top 10 to top 15 for the next couple seasons. I don't expect them to be a good team in the recent future. And the Rams are going to be probably picking from 25 to 30, you would imagine, because they're probably going to still make the playoffs, you would imagine, because it's an upgrade from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford. But even having a second first-round pick, that's so valuable. You're basically getting an early second-round pick if they do end up going to Super Bowls and doing things like that. And you could just replenish if you hit these draft picks. I think it's a very wise move by the Lions. I think the Lions come away A-plus for this trade. As for the Rams, look, you needed to get away from Golf's contract. You needed to. You did. You got a significant upgrade at quarterback, but you traded two firsts and a third in the process. I would say this is probably a C plus, but it's all going to be contingent on what happens in the future. If Stafford leads the Rams to the Super Bowl, then it's totally worth it. If they win this Super Bowl and they get a title out of it, I mean, I think any NFL franchise would sign off on a Super Bowl victory and you just give away two first-round picks. But that has to happen, and we're not going to find that out for quite a while. But the Rams today get out of a horrendous contract, going to have to eat some dead cap, give themselves flexibility, lose a lot of potential assets. So I would probably give that, if I'm grading it, a C, C+. I know I don't love it. I don't love... Uh, trading that many assets for a quarterback who is about to be 33 and has had back issues. But I, I get it from certain standpoints. I, I do. I don't think it's as horrendous as a lot of people initially reacted to because you still have that defense and now your quarterback isn't inept because Jared Goff was pretty bad down the stretch of a lot of the 2020 season. Hasn't really shown that much since his breakout, I guess you could say two years after uh, Jeff Fisher ended up leaving and Sean McVay came in. But it's going to be exciting to see how it all ends up playing out, the salary cap, how that ends up kind of materializing, what the Rams are going to be able to do, who they're going to be able to extend, and who the Lions are going to take with these picks. But let's go, we're going to talk about the Senior Bowl a little bit, but before we get to them and the Texans, Let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. All right. So, Texans. The last head coaching domino has fallen. Nick Casario and company signed David Coley, who was the passing game coordinator and assistant head coach for the Baltimore Ravens. So, the Texans now have 
a head football coach. Coley worked for the Eagles and the Chiefs with Andy Reid, the Bills when Sean McDermott was there, obviously John Harbaugh with the Ravens. He started in 1994 with the Buccaneers under Sam Weish, has had some experience with Bill Cowher as well with the Steelers, so he's been around the NFL for quite a bit. But he inherits a mess. He really does, because his star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, has formally requested a trade, does not seem to be interested in playing another down as a Houston Texan. And that's not great, because Nick Casario and Coley both feel Deshaun Watson will be there. Now, it's hard to say if he will or if he won't, but you have a disgruntled quarterback, and this signing doesn't seem to smooth that over. Watson felt like he was disrespected by the franchise because he wasn't included in the general manager search, and he felt like he deserved that because he talked to management and the owner, and the owner seemed to assure him that he would be included. So that is a sign of disrespect. And Watson is a hot commodity. I mean, if Matt Stafford can fetch two first-round picks, a third, and a quarterback, granted the quarterback was, you know, thrown in there on purpose because of contractual reasons, then what the heck is Deshaun Watson going to get from a team like the Dolphins and the Jets, say the 49ers even? It really begs the question, but Coley is just put into a pretty unfortunate situation right now if Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be there. And this could get ugly, and this could be a really interesting storyline to follow. And I think J.J. Watt's name should be thrown in there as well. Because J.J. Watt, he's entering the last year of his contract. And he's done so much for Houston. The city, the organization, he's been the face of that organization since they selected him back in 2011. And he deserves so much better than whatever the heck is going on there. And I hope he ends up going to a team like the Packers, or even the Steelers to play with his brother. Whatever. I would like to see him compete, actually compete, for a team that has a realistic shot to win a Super Bowl. He deserves that. He does. And I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up getting dealt in the offseason. But that's the Texans. Now, let's briefly talk about the Senior Bowl. I'm not going to dive too much into it, because Chris Flum, myself, and Joe DeLeon, we covered it all week on Big Blue View. Please go back and Look at the articles from each practice report that we all did, the game review. And we also are going to be doing a podcast talking and breaking down what happened in the game and our overall thoughts on the Senior Bowl. So you can find that there, but essentially, it's 27 to 24 if anybody cares about the score. But there seems to be a theme of a lot of smaller school guys showing up to this event and balling out despite the fact that they didn't play football for over a year. And the one who stole the show was Quinn Miners, interior offensive lineman out of Wisconsin Whitewater, which is a Division III program represent always for the D3 guys. A D3 guy myself. So this dude shows up to the Senior Bowl playing center, holds up at the point of attack phenomenally against some of the top seniors in the nation from Power 5 schools, uses his hands very well, shows incredible lower body strength was great in team periods with the run blocking drills and was not a liability whatsoever in pass protection actually stonewalled a lot of the guys in practice and rose above dudes like creed humphrey who's a highly regarded interior offensive lineman a center out of oklahoma he made himself a ton of money miners was going to be like a seventh round pick possibly a udfa and now people are talking about him on day two i think that's a little bit rich he's probably going to end up going around the same 
plays Ben Barchwent last year. He's somebody out of St. John's, not the one in New York, the one in Minnesota. Went down to the Senior Bowl, had a great week of practice, earned himself some money. Ali Marpet out of Hobart did the same thing back in 2015. So I think Quinn Miners can fall into that type of category. And you might see him be a fourth-round pick by a team who's going to really love his nastiness, love the fact that he tried to play through a broken hand, but Brian Flores wouldn't let him. I mean, that's Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman written all over it. Dude plays with a crop top, has the belly hanging out, that beer belly. You love to see it. But he wasn't the only small school guy. You also had Dwayne Eskridge steal basically the spotlight for skilled position guys in the first and second practice and that he didn't play in the game and didn't practice on Thursday either. He's from Western Michigan. He had a great week. I thought Cade Johnson from South Dakota State, another receiver, smaller guy, shiftier slot guy, so don't necessarily see him going to the Giants. He had an excellent week of practice as well. Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa had a good week of practice and then brought it all together during the game and was consistently winning one-on-ones during the game using his quickness and his violent hands to get to the half man and then defeat his blocker. He's six foot six, 262 pounds, 83-inch wingspan, 33 and one-fourth inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands, used every bit of all those measurables. And it is, combines them, really, with good athletic ability. He's a defensive lineman. You could put him on the edge a little bit, although he's more of a defensive lineman. But I think he's one of those fluid first-level defenders that Patrick Graham can get a lot out of, and he'll be available on day two. And there's just... A lot of great players that kind of came out of this Senior Bowl event that either opted out or are from these smaller programs that didn't even get a chance to play in 2020. You had Nico Collins during practice, big-bodied X type of receiver, 6'4", 212 pounds. Now, he's not going to have the best separation quickness on horizontal breaking routes, but he could still sink his hips and explode in and out of cuts at a solid rate, and he was winning a lot at the catch point, using his physicality, and that's the type of receiver the Giants are looking for. And he didn't play it down in 2020. He went down to the Senior Bowl, looked damn good in drills. His teammate, Ambry Thomas, cornerback, same situation, didn't play it down in 2020, opted out of the season. But he still showed that patience and that footwork and that ability to ride wide receivers up their route stems, stick in their hip pocket and be excellent in man coverage while bringing a level of physicality to the catch point that you want in a cornerback. That's Ambry Thomas. He did that. So this was another excellent job by the Senior Bowl. Jim Nagy and company. I interned with them back in 2019 when Daniel Jones was there. Great staff. They do great work. It was a lot of fun. But pulling this off during COVID, great job by them. And another player I wanted to bring up because he had a very good week of practice and he had a very good game. That's Michael Carter out of North Carolina, running back. Dude's 5'7", 202 pounds, densely built, great contact balance, very good vision, but is known for his ability to burst, hit the hole, and explode. Dangerous in the open fields. It's an excellent type of third down back. His issue is can't really pass protect. But both those running backs, now Javante Williams, the other running back out of North Carolina, and Michael Carter, running back out of North Carolina, both those running backs are going to be top 100 picks. Javante will probably go before Michael Carter, but they're both excellent players, very fun players to watch. I've only evaluated one game tape of theirs so far, but Javante Williams steals people's souls. And Michael Carter is just lightning quick with his feet. So 
he went down there and made himself some more money. And I also think those Notre Dame edge rushers, Dalen Hayes and Ad Ogundiji, had really good weeks as well. Ogundiji, I watched this film. I didn't come away totally enormed with his skill set on his 2019 film and the little bit of 2020 that I was able to see. But man, he has every measurable you want in a player. And he went down to the Senior Bowl and he showed some really impressive pass rushing moves in the one-on-one drills. He's six foot four, 256 pounds, 85 and three-eighth inch wingspan, 35 and one-fourth inch arms. As an edge rusher, defensive lineman, and he showed pass rushing plan and a variety of moves. Now, in team drills, he wasn't really eating double teams all that well, kind of getting blown off the ball a little bit on double teams. Not a great sign, two gapping kind of teams. Giants run two gapping concepts, but I don't believe this is the type of player that they would have in a bare front as that three technique or four eye technique in tight fronts. He would be the edge rusher. He would be the Carter Coughlin or the Cam Brown towards the end of the season. And I think he would execute that role very, very well. He has some explosiveness. He's not overly bursty or bendy like Quincy Roche, who was in this game, the Miami edge rusher, who I really like, or even Dalen Hayes, his teammate out of Notre Dame. Heavy, heavy hands, a little bit more burst and explosion than Ogundiji. But I still love what Ogundiji can bring from a length standpoint, from an ability to disrupt and have a pass rushing plan and know how to use your hands. He seemed to have all that down there, so that really was pretty sweet. And there was a lot of good edge rushers down there. Like I said, Quincy Roche from Miami, definitely somebody to pay attention to. Everyone talks about Gregory Rousseau all the time. You got to look at Jalen Phillips from Miami and Quincy Roche from Miami. Those are two guys who may be available at 40. I don't think Phillips will be. Quincy Roche might be. Giants second round pick, 40. I would much rather have either of those two players at 40 than Gregory Rousseau at 11 from everything I've seen so far. Greg Rousseau is just a long, kind of raw athlete. I love his length, and I love the fact that he had so much production, but it's still limited. I don't even think Dave Gettleman would go in that direction. It doesn't seem like the type of player that he would invest in, somebody who only has one year of production and is very, very raw with how he got his production against a bunch of offensive guards when they kicked him inside. It's not necessarily sustainable in the NFL. It doesn't mean he can't be a great player. There's going to be a lot of development. He's going to get stronger. He's going to get coached up. But it's still a very raw product for the 11th pick in the Giants' current state. But you look at Jalen Phillips. Now, he was the first overall recruit back in, I think it was 2017. Went to UCLA, had some concussion issues. Ended up leaving UCLA and leaving football in general. But then he transferred in 2019. Had to sit out a season because of the transfer portal. But he transferred in 2019 to Miami. Played in 2020 when Gregory Rousseau wasn't there, and he is an excellent player. Now, I saw Daniel Jeremiah mock him in the first round, but before that, I didn't see many people talking about him in the first round. Pay attention to Jalen Phillips. And also, Quincy Roche. He's probably going to be a second-round pick. He's a very, very fun player. Consistently won with speed, explosiveness, and just dip and bend through contact at the Senior Bowl. Really like Quincy Roche. I also think William Bradley King out of Baylor. He's an interesting pass rusher. And Carlos Basham out of... Wake Forest is another very interesting pass rusher, along with Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh, Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh. Patrick Jones had a quiet week of practice, had a sack in the game, though, which was great to see. And Rashad Weaver, I think he's just going to be a damn good football player. He's not the most explosive. He's not the best athlete, but he's just a damn good football player. These are all edge prospects, and I'm telling you, there are, there are a good amount of edges in this class. Now, nobody is Chase Young, okay, but you have guys 
like the Jalen Phillips, like the Quincy Roche, the Patrick Jones, the Carlos Basham, the Jordan Smith, the kid from UAB who is down there who's just insanely long. Same with Janarius Robinson who has insane measurables and athletic upside. Doesn't necessarily put it all together quite yet, but he just wowed everybody in the underwear Olympics that is called the weigh-ins. Now, the combine's not going on, which is a true underwear Olympics, but he would really wow there, I think. That's Janarius Robinson out of Florida State. I just haven't seen it yet on film. But the Dalen Hayes of the world, Notre Dame edge rusher Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh, Ellison Smith from Northern Iowa. These guys are all players that are going to be available on day two. So I would love to get more day two picks, get some of these players in to compete with Lorenzo Carter coming off the Achilles, with Shane Zimenez coming off his shoulder and the issues that he's had. I would really like that. And these players are solid. And then you have the top guys like Kawiti Pei from Michigan, Joseph Asai from Texas, you have Rousseau from Miami, you have Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, and then Joe Tyron from Washington. There, there's, there's several dudes who can play football. So I, I'm excited to see what the Giants can do at that edge position in the draft. I would love for them to get more assets because I think there's going to be several quality edge rushers there round two and round three, and maybe even into round four. So that's a good sign. So we'll see what the New York Giants plans are. But it was a fun week with the Senior Bowl. Love covering the Senior Bowl. And Chris Joe and I will be coming to you with more coverage of the Senior Bowl. So please stand by for that and enjoy. And as for this golf Stafford trade, it's going to set up this offseason. That should be really, really exciting. There's going to be plenty more quarterback movements that are going to help set up this draft that has Trevor Lawrence, who's going to go to Jacksonville. But then you have BYU Zach Wilson. You have Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. You have Justin Fields out of Ohio State. And then you have Kyle Trask out of Florida, who couldn't play in the Senior Bowl because of an ankle injury. And then Mac Jones, who couldn't play in the game, but was down there in practice and really earned himself some money. That's the quarterback from Alabama. Anyways, I am the host, Nicholas Filato. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Filato on Football. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you guys digest these podcasts. And have a lovely day. Take care of yourselves, everybody. And enjoy the Super Bowl.